Right, good morning. I, I'm just going to start seeing how much stuff I can carry up here and see if I can just full, fill this whole pulpit with, with my junk. Uh, good morning. We are glad that you're with us at Chanel today. I uh, hope that everyone had a, a wonderful week. Um, this morning, uh, let's start off in prayer and then we'll jump into the text. But this morning, we'll be starting in Matthew 21, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Heavenly Father, God, we, we love you. God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for who you created us to be. God, as we enter into this text this morning, be with us, God, open our hearts, and, and show us the message uh, from this text. It's through your son that we pray. Amen. So a few weeks ago, um, I, I spent a decent amount of time on TikTok. I don't believe it's unhealthy on social media. But a few weeks ago, I stumbled upon this account called Dad Advice from Bo. Now, if you're familiar with this account, maybe you've seen it on Facebook or Instagram, what it is, it's a, a dad whose daughter has a, um, an illness, and they, they've used this TikTok account to basically connect with one another. So what it is, is Bo, the, the dad, will give basically life advice to people. And if you're like me, I'm constantly looking to be saved, to be helped from social situations that maybe I feel like I should know how to do certain things. But this account has been dedicated to basically helping individuals in those little moments of life where you need some assistance. And we've got one clip, and Miles, do you have that ready for me? Let's go ahead and go for it. I'm going to show you how to change a tire today. Check your owner's manual for the location of your spare, your jack, your lug wrench, and where to put your jack on your car. Once you have your jack in position, go ahead and lift the car up just a little bit but do not lift it up so high that that tire comes off the ground. You need the tire sitting on the ground so you can break the lug nuts loose without the tire spinning on you. Lug nuts are on there hard, so you got to put some elbow grease behind it to get them loose. Once you do have them all loose, now is the time to raise that car all the way up so you have clear space under that flat tire. Once you've done that, go ahead and remove all of the lug nuts. They come off pretty easy at this point, and don't lose any of them. And once you have them all off, you're ready to take that flat tire off and get ready for part two. So I show that video. Now, let's be honest with ourselves. Like, who would have found that video to be beneficial? Cool. It's just me. Uh, maybe. Yeah, there we go. A few people back there. But he started doing this, these videos, and he does things like changing a tire, checking your oil, uh, cleaning out a drain in your home, even how to tie a tie. And I know some of you are like, have you watched that one yet, Bryce? Um, but it's, he, he goes through these little life things that, that maybe they don't feel like they're big to everybody, but they're saving somebody. You know what I mean? Like, we're looking for those moments in life of help and assistance. And I found that video to be so encouraging, and that whole, the account itself is just, it's just, it's nice. It's nice to see someone helping, and someone assisting, and somebody just pouring in and saying, hey, I know you need help. I know you need to be saved in this moment. I know maybe you need to learn how to tie a tie, or change a tire. Like, I'm going to be that person for you. This text, or the sermon this morning is called, Jesus Still Saves. And what I hope that it does, it serves as a reminder that even though a lot of times in life we think that we can do everything on our own, we can't. We need saving. We need help. help. And God provides Jesus for that help and for that salvation. So this morning we're going to start with the parable of the tenants. And in verse 33, Jesus says this, 
listen to another parable, which is just a a method of teaching where Jesus is explaining something deeper with a kind of a storyline. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. Now, if you have your Bibles, and I'm going to skip ahead, but if you have your Bibles, you're going to see that things don't go great for the people who the, the owner sent. Actually, in verse 35, the tenants seized his servants. They beat, uh, beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Not great. Does not sound like something that we would want to be participants in. Um, then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. And then in verse, uh, what's the next one, Miles? we got 38. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Now to explain this parable, Jesus says this. Have you never read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. Have you ever had those moments in your life where you kind of realize that you may be the recipient of the lesson? That has to be the worst feeling in the world when you're like, oh no. Like when, when, when Nathan confronts Daniel and he's like, David, David, you are that man. Like that's kind of the feeling and the vibe that we're getting in this passage where they recognize like Jesus is talking about us. And Jesus is quoting from Psalm 118 here, but it's a powerful reminder of the foundation that Jesus is providing for them. So when we talk about Jesus still saves, we have to start with the foundation of what that salvation is and what it's necessary for and what it does in our lives. It says they looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because of the people held that he was a prophet. Now this, this idea of Jesus saving is, is important, but it's a question that we have to ask ourselves is what are we going to do about Jesus in our lives? Like if we are going to allow Jesus to be the foundation for who we are, for who we serve, for how we live, for how we engage with other people, we have to answer that question of what are we going to do with Jesus? How does he transform our lives? See, the disciples also wrestled with this. Later in a different story in Luke chapter 21, the disciples are at the temple and they see the temple and they are amazed by the temple. They're looking at the, the artistry of the temple and it's beautiful and they're captivated by it. And then Jesus kind of brings them down in Luke chapter 21, verses 12 through 19. And he says this, but before all of this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison. And you'll be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You'll be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, 
but not a hair on your, of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win in life. Jesus is kind of laying this foundation of what are we going to do with Jesus? How are we going to allow Jesus to shape our lives? And he's, he's laying this foundation of the power and the name of Jesus. This is something that we see developing even after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus about the disruptive nature of the name of Jesus. Not just in our lives personally, but in our communities, in our friend groups, uh, in maybe our families. And Jesus is talking about that here in Luke 21. About if, if you're going to allow Jesus to save you, if Jesus is going to be the Savior of your life, there will be changes, there will be disruptions in how you exist And if you've ever had moments like this, like the disciples, where they think everything is going really good, and they think they're having a good time, and they're having fun, and then Jesus just basically says, do you know what it's going to cost to follow me? Are you willing to do that? She's saying, I can save you, but it's going to cost you something. Again, it may cost you relationships, friendships, families, acquaintances, whatever that may be. But the saving nature of Jesus will challenge your life. And we've talked a lot over the last few months about the early church. And it's something that that I look at and I see hope in. I see direction in the early church. But I also see some of the things here that Jesus is talking about, how the name of Jesus challenges people. See, Peter and John found themselves in the situation where one day they are going to the temple. This is in Acts chapter 3 if you want to turn there. But they're going to the temple one day. And they're, I think, they even say it's about three in the afternoon. I love that Luke wants to give us the times. But they're going to the temple one day, and they see a man who's crippled. They see a paralyzed man. This man, his entire identity up to this point had been this daily rhythm of every day waking up, going to the temple, and begging for money. That's all he did. That's who he was. That's how he existed. That's all he knew. That's all he did. And so one day, this individual's life is disrupted because he encounters people who are coming in the name of Jesus. So Peter and John come up on this guy. They're walking to the temple. They see him. He says, hey, can I have some money? Do you have anything that you can give me? It's that kind of like, this is who I am. This is what I do. This is my purpose. And so Peter says this in Acts chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. Silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Now think about that for a second. If you're this man, every single day you've gone to the temple, you've begged for money, it's everything about who you are. Like, wouldn't you have been mad if the the response that Peter gives you is like, hey, I'm about to just give you something in somebody's name. And you're like, man, I I was asking for money. (laughs) Like, silver or gold is fine. It's like, do you have Venmo? I don't care how we have to do the money transfer. Like, that's what I'm after. But Peter is like, I have something greater than that. I'm coming to you with the power of the name of Jesus Christ. Something that is disruptive and transformational. In verse 7, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Again, Every day, this man went there, sat, and begged. And then in one moment, in one instance, when he encounters the powerful name of Jesus, something within him changes. 
It's that, that question of what are we going to do about Jesus? How are we going to let Jesus save us, transform us, change us, challenge us? He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. I love the excitement of this individual. Because so often we read passages and it's just flatlining, right? We just read it kind of just, and then he went to the temple and he was just really happy. Like, that's not what's happening here. This individual's life has been changed. His identity, his purpose, his meaning, everything about him has changed because he's encountered Jesus Christ through Peter and John. It says, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him. Do you see that? They're like, hey, this is that guy that just sat there every day begging for money. They recognize his old personality, but they say, hey, there's something different about this person now. He's not the same. He's been transformed. He's been changed. They recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. See kind of what's happening here? You have individuals who physically encountered Jesus. They experienced Jesus. And now you're having these individuals who have been taught what Jesus did in their lives and what he can do in other people's lives. And now it's just disrupting this entire community. Everything that they do, what they stand for, what they care about, what they're leaning into in their lives has been disrupted because of the name of Jesus. I mean, think about this, even in the lives of these individuals. They switch from Saturday being the focus of worshiping God to now they're worshiping Jesus on Sundays. Even their schedules have been disrupted and changed because of their devotion and commitment to who Jesus is. In their lives, they've been saved, and because of that salvation, they have been transformed. Now, I I love this story, this little window, but this story actually continues in the next chapter. Because what happens is Peter and John have disrupted too many people in this climate. They've annoyed too many of the leaders, and they're tired of it. And so they bring Peter and John in front of the Sanhedrin. And they challenge them, and they say basically like, listen, we can't stop what you're doing. There's, there's this, this Jesus train has left the station. There's nothing that we can do at this point. But what we ask for you to do is not do it in Jesus' name. Now think about that if you're Peter and John. You've been transformed, you've been changed, you've been saved by Jesus. See, these individuals have already decided what they are going to do with Jesus. It's going to be a part of everything that they do in existence. It affects the way they breathe, the way they think, the way that they love. Nothing about them can be the same again. And so the Sanhedrin brings them in and starts questioning them, saying, we don't want you to do it like this anymore. You cannot quote the name of Jesus in your healings and all the things that you're doing. You have to remove Jesus from this equation. But Peter and John say, we can't do that. We've already answered that question of what is Jesus going to do in our lives? What does it look like to be saved and to be resurrected in a new life through Jesus? They've already answered that question. And so they find themselves in front of it. In verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, 
It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead. Now, stop there, because if you felt the intensity, it's there. Like, if you felt that awkwardness of we're having a conversation, and now you're hurting people's feelings, because that's what Peter does here. He kind of turns it up a little bit, right? If you've ever been in a dialogue where all of a sudden you're accusing somebody of something, specifically the, 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 the uh, murder of the, the Messiah here, that's kind of what Peter does. And so it kind of it goes up a notch, and you got to catch it because there's undertones that's happening in this passage. That if, if we miss them, we miss the drastic impact of what Peter is saying here. He says, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. And you can almost feel Peter pointing his finger, like, whom you crucified, that this man stands before you healed. I love that too. Like, they're not just talking about somebody that's not present. They're not just talking about somebody that people have heard rumors about. Like, the man who has been healed is physically there. It's like, y'all are mad about this. This man can walk. This man's happy. He was the one that was disrupting the temple earlier because he was so excited that his life had been transformed by the name of Jesus Christ. And in verse 11, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. He says this salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And we, we find ourselves in this predicament here. Because a lot of us don't want help, right? I love that story, that dad advice from Bo. I love those videos because I've found myself in moments in my life where I'm like, I can do this on my own. I don't need help. I'm going to break this on my own and then I'm going to call a professional. Like how many times have we done things like that in our lives? Or we're like, I, I'm going to the YouTube and we're going to figure this out and then I'll call a professional. We, we don't like to ask for help. Because self can't save. We cannot do this on our own. We cannot save ourselves. We need the redeeming and salvation from Jesus. There's a story last week out of Mississippi. Uh, I, I track Mississippi news quite a bit. Um, but there's a story out of Mississippi, and it's Pascagoula, I think is what it's called. So southern Mississippi, kind of the I-10 area, Moss Point. And maybe you heard this story. And it, well, the first picture here is I-10. It's the river there. And what happened was a lady driving a car with three other passengers basically missed the on-ramp and took a boat dock, is what it was. The boat ramp is what she took. Instead of an on-ramp to the highway, took a boat ramp. Two different trajectories, Right. You're in a car, not in a boat, so this is not an ideal situation for anybody. This is the 4th of July holiday weekend, super late at night. She takes the boat ramp. Her car starts to sink. Now, if you've heard the story, what happens is state trooper comes. He starts trying to help people, but he's, he's overwhelmed. And then there's a kid, Corion Evans, here in this next picture. He's a 16-year-old kid. Sees this incident happen. The story goes that he took off his shirt and immediately jumped in the water. He rescued all three women in the car as well as the police officer. I think, I mean, yeah, middle of the night, this kid just does it. Now he's, he's being heralded as his hero. Think he is. But the reason why I'm telling the story and even bring up this kid is because these individuals could not get out of that water on their own. As much as they thought they could, they needed help, they needed saving. 
They needed somebody to say, hey, I'm going to put myself on the line and help you in this situation. And in this instance, a 16-year-old kid was their savior. And the, text even, the, the story even read, officer, when, when trying to help another person out, he swallowed too much water and he needed assistance. And the kid just, he helped him as well. And he just, I mean, I love the story, but it just reminds us that we cannot do this on our own. That we need to be saved. So just a few passages to close with. So what does Jesus save us from or save us to? Romans chapter 3, 25 reads that Jesus answered. That's the wrong passage. That is not it, Miles. That's on me. Uh, got to, I was copying and pasting, guys. Let me get, I actually have my Bible open this morning. So Romans chapter 3. This is very awkward. Excellent. Very good. Um, I was like, I have it on here, and I was like, that is not Romans. Um, Paul did not write that way. But so I'm just going to read it from my Bible. But Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21. But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all whom believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate His justice, because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His justice at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So what does Jesus save us from? The the wrath of God, the punishment that we deserve. We deserve to die in sin, but Jesus took our place on the cross. So he saves us from that punishment that we deserve. The next one is the one we have, Miles, John 14, 6. What else does Jesus provide? What does he give us in that salvation? He gives us access and hope. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And finally, in Romans chapter 6, we're reminded of that that newness, that salvation that we are given through Jesus. Paul writes this, after talking about death through Adam and a newness in Jesus, he spends this whole section in Romans chapter 5 talking about the old ways how we used to live, who we used to be, but reminding us of the invitation and that new life through salvation in Jesus. And so he comes to this point in Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Think about that for just a second, like where he's starting here. Are you going to keep sinning? Are you going to keep doing the same things in your lives because you know that you have grace? I mean, it sounds childish. Like, it sounds like I'm, I'm prepping a story about Judah, right? Like, it's kind of where it feels like we're going with this. It sounds like something that children would do, but it's something that as adults we do as well. And Paul says, like, should you just keep doing this because you know that you have grace? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Do you see that? The newness that we are given through the salvation of Jesus invites us into a new way, a new identity, a new purpose. We've seen it with the paralyzed man in Acts chapter 3. He is transformed. 
He's given a new purpose, a new meaning. He can no longer live the way that he used to because of that newness of Jesus. Verse 3, or do you, or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we may too live a new life. When we think about this idea that Jesus still saves, we need to look at passages like Romans chapter 6 to remind us that every single day we are invited into a new life. Every day can be better than the last because Jesus has saved us. We have a new life, a new meaning, a new purpose, and a new identity. And because of Jesus, we are given that opportunity because Jesus still saves. Let's stand and sing together. Thank mm-hmm. you.